Now, you follow, as I read, only two verses out of a book that we consider to be inerrant, infallible, inspired, not a, not a hint of contradiction, nor a, a hint of error to be found anywhere in its pages. I want to read you only two verses. Genesis 37 at verse 1. Jacob lived in the land and his father's, uh, the land of his father's sojournings in the land of Canaan. These are the generations of Jacob. Joseph, being 17 years old, was pastoring the flock with his brothers. He was a boy with the sons of Bilhah and Zilpah, his father's wives. And Joseph brought a bad report of them to their father. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God, that endures forever. Guys, we're, we're beginning this morning a final push towards to the end or a, a conclusion of our study of the book of Genesis, which started a little over three years ago. In November of 2004 is when we started looking at Genesis, and we're, we're going we're gonna to push to conclude that. And, and I want you to know that uh, over these last 14 chapters, I'm going to preach, Lord willing, about six or seven sermons, which, as most of you know, that's not very many for me over 14 chapters. But, but let me tell you why I'm doing that. Here's the reason. About 10 years ago, uh, actually it was in 95 and 96, I preached a series of sermons on Joseph, whose life is the primary focus of these last 14 chapters of Genesis. Now, knowing what good memories you all have, I wouldn't dare uh, preach on that subject again until a few of you die off, you know? Um, I can't go back and preach about Joseph again when I did it ten years ago, because I know you still remember all of those marvelous points that I made ten years ago in that series on Joseph. So... What I'm going to do is, in these last 14 chapters, is capture what I think are kind of the high points of this story, and we'll, uh, we'll finish it up in six or seven weeks or so. Okay? Do you like grapefruit? I love grapefruit. Uh, in fact, when we lived in Florida, one of, my, one of my goals in living in Florida was to have my own grapefruit tree. And I tried. Uh, believe me, my wife can tell you, I tried. I did even my own little grafting at one point. I was, I was desperate to have my own grapefruit tree. It never panned out, but I, I, I sure tried very hard. Um, last week when Susan and I were away, we were vacationing in, in southwest Florida. And I had grapefruit just about every morning. Now, I, I don't know how the rest of you eat grapefruit, and I'm not sure that the way I eat grapefruit is, is you know, the correct way to eat grapefruit. But let me tell you how I do it. I know you're interested. Um, you know, you take this thing, and, and you, you cut it in half. <laughs> and then you, do you do this? You, you take your knife, and you, you know, you kind of saw, and all I had was a plastic knife. And, and you kind of saw around the circumference of the thing. And then you, 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 you have to, you know, you have to cut in those little sections, which was rather difficult when my eyes are so bad I couldn't even see the sections. All the while, the thing is squirting all over me and, and it's getting all over my hands and it's sticky and messy and, 
and with a plastic knife, no less. And but when you get through with all that goings on, you really the, the yield, the product, the the result is is really quite enjoyable. Now, guys, um, my my point in all that is that. Um, we have to do something similar to that this morning. We've got a little work in front of us this morning. A, a little work that's maybe a little sticky or a little messy or maybe difficult. But if you'll hang with me, the result, the yield, you're really going to like it. So stay with me as best you can. Gang, the story of Joseph that you see in verse 2 there. The story of Joseph opens in a most unusual way. Now let me, let me show you what I'm talking about. You're going to need your Bible, so keep them right there. Before you ever come... To the name of Joseph, you find these words in verse 2. These are the generations, look at it, of Jacob. Now, gang, one of our challenges this morning is to keep those two names straight. And it's kind of hard because they both start with J. You know, you got Jacob and you got Joseph. You got two different people there. Now, and, and let me tell you, you know, Jacob is the daddy, Joseph is the son. You know, the multicolored coat and one who went to Pharaoh and gave out all the wheat. That's Joseph. Jacob is the guy that we've been studying for months. He's the one that conned his brother out of the birthright, brother Esau out of the birthright, you know. He's the one that wrestled with God at Peniel. That's Jacob. (laughs) Now, his son is Joseph. Different people. You got to keep those straight. And that's one of our challenges this morning is make sure that we keep those two straight. We're, we're, we're doing the work right now, guys. We're, we're, we're still sawing around the circumference. Stay with me. Now, guys, if you look at verse 2, it opens with these words. These are the generations of Jacob. And then period. Joseph was a boy of yada, 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 yada. Gang. The word in your translations that is translated generations, by the way, the Hebrew word is toledot. And, and that, that Hebrew word has a fairly broad lexical range to it. And what I mean by that is that there's a lot of English words that you could use that are pretty accurate to translate that word, toledot. My translation uses the word or uses the word generation to translate it. But there are other translations. Um, there's the word lineage. The NIV says, and this is the account of Jacob. Um, the, uh, the New American Standard says these are the records of the generations. They're all trying to translate the same word. But, gang, the New King James, if you've got that, uses the word history. And I want to suggest to you that the clearest word, not that those others are inera- inaccurate, but the clearest word, the best word is that one, history. These, this is the history of Jacob. Colon, by the way, you know that, that Hebrew text doesn't have punctuation to it. But let's just imagine a colon in there and then Joseph. 
These are the, this is the history of Jacob. Um, now gang, the story that starts in 37-2 about Joseph and doesn't conclude until the end of the book, the end of the book of Genesis, which is about the story about Joseph, is not about Joseph. It's about Jacob. Even though the main character of the story in those 14 chapters is a guy by the name of Joseph. It really isn't about Joseph. One of the main purposes of of this story about Joseph, the son, is to tell you something about Jacob. This is the history of Jacob. Now, let me tell you this story. You see, guys, the narrator, Moses, wants you to learn something about Jacob by telling you a story about Joseph. Now, just to prove my point, uh, to give you at least another part of my argument, stay with me. We're still sawing around the circumference, gang. Just hang in there. Uh, I'm just trying to prove my point that this is really about jo- uh, about Jacob. Um, the story begins in 37.2 about Joseph. And before the chapter ends, before 37 ends, Joseph has been sold into slavery and his brothers have cooked up this scheme to try and tell their daddy, Jacob, that, their, that his son Joseph is dead. Remember, they soak his, his coat in blood. Take it back to Jacob. It's, it all takes place in 37. Then you come to 38. Oh, by the way, the story has just begun. I mean, Joseph has been sold into slavery and he's in a caravan on his way to Egypt. But the story has just begun and you come to 38. Chapter 38. And it's about Judah and Tamar. Judah and Tamar. Do you know the story? Oh, it's an ugly story. This, the one about Judah and Tamar? Ooh. Judah is the father-in-law. Tamar is the daughter-in-law. And Tamar is married to number one son of Judah. He dies. And so according to Hebrew law, she gets number two son. So she marries number two son and he dies too. And then according to Hebrew law, there's a third son who's supposed to be given. And Judah, the daddy says, oh, I'm not giving my third boy to her. There's something screwy with this woman. So he withholds his third child. And so she sees what's happening. So she cooks up this scheme. Ah, I'll tell you what I'm going to do. So she goes out and she plants herself on the side of the road. And Judah, the father-in-law, hires her as a prostitute and impregnates her. It's in 38. You can read it. Back. It was my Christmas text one year, by the way. Um, anyway, um, so she's pregnant. She comes back to, her, to the house. And uh, she begins to show that she's pregnant. And Judah... In righteous indignation, says she needs to be stoned and burned. And Tamar then produces evidences that the father of the baby is Judah. Go! And then the whole story changes just a bit. But my point is this. What does that have to do with the story of Joseph? Nothing! (laughs) It didn't have anything to do with the story of Joseph. 
So then why did it get stuck in here right after the Joseph story started? Well, here's why it got stuck in there, ladies and gentlemen. Because these last 14 chapters are not about Joseph. Do you see that? They're about Jacob. The last 14 chapters are telling you something about Jacob. This is the history of Jacob. Oh, here's something that happened to his one boy, Joseph. Oh, here's something that happened to his other son, Judah. Uh, you know, and Tamar, Tamar. This is a story about Jacob, gang. The, the, you, you, then you come back to chapter 39. And the Joseph story resumes. Because at the heart of Jacob's history, at the heart of Jacob, the one we've been studying for months, at the heart of his history, is a story about Joseph. Why? Well, that's what we're going to find out this morning. Why that story about Joseph is crucial in the understanding of the patriarch Jacob. Okay, if you if you if you followed me to this point, we're ready to make a little some things a little bit clearer. Not much, but just kind of hang in there, guys. Why is the story of Joseph critical? To the history of Jacob. Here we go. Gang. The, the name Jacob. Has come to be. I mean it was used biblically like this. But the name Jacob is a type. It's a picture. It's a portrait. It's a, it's an, it's a title. If you will. To be equated with God's people. By the way, I didn't dream that up, guys. If you, the, the book of Psalms uses that, uses his name like that all the time. I could spend the rest of the day showing you that, but if you've got your Bibles, if you'd like to see it real quick, I'd like to show you just once. This is in uh, Psalm 14. If you can find that real quick. Psalm 14, verse 7. The psalmist says this. 14, 7. Oh, that salvation for Israel would come out of Zion. When the Lord restores, here we go, restores the fortunes of his people, comma, let Jacob rejoice, let Israel be glad. Do you see what the psalmist has done, guys? Do you see how interchangeable all those three terms? Do you see uh, Israel and, and his people and Jacob? They're all terms that are interchangeable. The name Jacob became a title. Of God's people. Now guys, in our study of Jacob for these last few months, I have been trying to communicate to you. I've been trying to tell you. I have sought to show you how Jacob's life is an extended metaphor about my life. About your life. About our life. What you see occurring... In the life of Jacob are the kinds of things that happen in the lives of God's people. You, you, learn, you, you, you watch what Jacob does 
And you learn lessons about what happens to us. Guys, oftentimes the meaning in the scriptures is layered like that. I hope you know what I meant by it. But gang, if you study Jacob's life at one level, it's a study of God's people. That's what I'm saying. And the Joseph story is key in understanding something about not only Jacob, but it's key in understanding something about God's people. Jacob is a type for God's people. And what happens to him is something that we can apply to us. So what happens with Joseph that so influenced Jacob is something that you and I need to listen up for too because Jacob is just a type, a title for God's people. Okay. What have we seen? What have we learned about God's people from looking at Jacob? What have we learned? Well, here's what we learned. First of all, we learned that God's people... If Jacob is a type of God's people, then God's people are disfigured by sin. They have been maimed and mangled by the cosmic car wreck called the fall. Do you remember some of those incidents that we saw in Jacob's life? Like when he deceived his brother and scammed him out of the... You remember that? Remember his family, the two wives that that constantly were fighting and he was uh, he was just such a bad father and a bad husband? Remember all that? Because Jacob is so disfigured by sin, which says something about God's people. We too are disfigured by sin. Jacob is a mess. Like me. Like you. And as a result of being disfigured by sin... Some of his behavior, oh my goodness, he sinks to pitiable lows. I mean, remember the part about him having all the idols in his family? You remember his indifference over the rape of his daughter? You remember his inaction to deal with his sons, even when his eldest son slept with Bilhi's concubine? Oh my goodness! As a result of how marred he is by sin, look at his behavior! It's tragic. It's embarrassing. And because he is so disfigured by sin, resulting in bad behavior, you know what Jacob needs? He needs help. Lots of it. He needs a deliverer. Enter. Joseph. Remember how the story goes? Big famine in the land. Remember that? And so, how does God deliver Jacob out of this horrible mess that he finds himself in? Oh, oh, I'll tell you how. God sends a deliverer. And his name was Joseph. 
Guys, there is no figure in the entire Old Testament that is so clearly a type of Christ as is Joseph. The story of Joseph is the story about Jacob's Savior. It's a story about Jacob's deliverance. It's a story about Jacob's deliverer. And the next 14 chapters of Genesis, except for chapter 38, the next 14 chapters is about a Savior for God's people. Including Jacob. Because without, without Joseph, Jacob would have starved. All Israel would have starved had it not been for a God-provided Savior whose name was Joseph. And that, ladies and gentlemen, is the point. Jacob, whose name is Israel, which is a metaphor of God's people, desperately needed a deliverer if he was going to survive the famine. And God provided one. And his name was Joseph. And he would provide enough food for Jacob and his family so that they wouldn't starve. And Jacob is the one that delivered the family from starvation. And then, centuries later, another son of Jacob, the ultimate son of Jacob, would arrive on the scene and would provide Not grain for the belly, but blood for the sin. Gang, this is the history of Jacob. And you know what the history of Jacob is? He was marred and disfigured by sin to the point that he was about to die. And God provided a Savior. Real quickly, as I close, I want to show you four quick ways how Joseph's life illustrates, um, portrays uh, um, the life of Jesus. Are you still with me? Just in, in, in A.W. Pink's commentary, he's got a list of 50 ways. I'm only going to list four, and then we're just about done. First of all, real quick, number one, like Jesus, Joseph was hated by his brothers. In John chapter 1, verses 9 and 10, or 10 and 11, the, the text says, And he, Jesus came into his own, but his own received him not. Just like Joseph. And because his own brothers didn't care for him, they tried to kill him. Just like Jesus. They thought they had killed him. But secondly, just like Jesus... Joseph found himself serving a foreign people in a place completely foreign to him. Egypt was not Joseph's home, and neither was planet Earth home to Jesus. But they left their native lands so that they could come perform a work, a saving work for people who were caught in the midst of starvation, physically and spiritually. Thirdly, just like Jesus... Joseph found himself a dead man in a prison of Pharaoh's. And after a while, he resurrected from the dead, just like Jesus. Peter speaks of a prison to which Jesus went, and it couldn't hold him either. Now, here's the fourth likeness. And I want you to see this one, guys. If you've got your Bibles open, turn to Genesis 50. 
because this is one of the highlights of the Bible. Genesis 50. Genesis 50, I'm going to read it to you. One verse. Genesis 50, 20. Here we go. Joseph says in verse 20 of chapter 50, As for you, you, he's speaking to his brothers, Joseph is speaking to his brothers, and he says, You meant evil against me, but God meant it for good, to bring it about that many people should be kept alive as they are to this day. Gang, everything done to Joseph by his brothers was intended for evil. Like Jesus. And look at the verse. But God. And in those two little words, my friends, you find the gospel of Jesus Christ. You meant it for evil. Yes, sir, you did. But God had another design. A design that was to save a people. And in this story, he was going to save them from starvation and keep them alive, overcoming this great famine. And he did it all through a person whose name was Joseph. But centuries later, the New Testament Joseph would appear. And people would nail him to a cross. And they meant it for evil. But God had an altogether different design. Gang, at the center of the history about Jacob, is a man named Joseph. At the center of our history is a man named Jesus. How sweet is that? And you know what you've heard? You've heard about a man who, because of the fall, was disfigured by sin. And because of his disfigurement by sin, his life was just a wreck. And in the midst of his life being a wreck, he found himself in a famine that he was going to die, and God provided a way out in a person. You know what you've heard? You've heard the gospel. That's what you heard. You know, guys, I know you would rather hear sermons about parenting. I mean, parenting sermons sell a lot out there. There won't be many, too many people buying this one. I know you'd rather, you'd rather hear about uh, how to improve your, your, your marriage and, and something that's really user-friendly and felt needy. But I've got to tell you something, ladies and gentlemen. The central message of this book is not about your marriage. It's not about your parenting skills. The central message of this book is that you're broken. You're broken beyond repair. And as a result of the brokenness, our lives, our, all of our lifestyles and behaviors, they're a wreck. They're a mess. We're a mess. 
need a deliverer. And God sent one. In this story about Joseph, when he finally ascends to the the right hand of Pharaoh, there's a point at which people come to Pharaoh, you know, the boss. They come to Pharaoh and say, hey, we're starving. We need some grain. And Pharaoh looks at him and says, what are you coming to me for? Go to Joseph. Ladies and gentlemen, go to Joseph. Testament, we call him Jesus. Our Father, I pray that you will take my scrambled words and scrambled thoughts and, and jumbled ideas and turn them into something that is as beautiful as what they really are. A story about a man because of his sin, needed a Savior and got one. Father, that's my story. It's the story of so many in this room. And if you brought people here today who have not yet found out how you save, I pray that you'll open their eyes to see something so beautiful, so profound, that they might not be able to crawl back into their cars until they have settled who it is that they count on to deliver them. Lord, use Gracie Van in this coming new year to tell the world that they've got to go to Jesus. Use us for that, Lord. We ask it, of course, in Jesus' name.